the J curve is the shape of the normal Christian life. Well, what is that? What is the J curve? Paul Miller describes this in his latest book, aptly titled, J Curve, Dying and Rising with Jesus in Everyday Life. You may have heard of Paul Miller. His book called A Praying Life is one of the best books on prayer that I've ever read. If you struggle with prayer and you want to learn how to enjoy prayer, then get Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. Paul Miller is actually the son of Jack Miller, the man I mentioned two weeks ago. So no surprise that I'm recommending books from this father and son duo. But back to J-Curve, dying and rising with Jesus in everyday life. It was World Magazine's 2019 book of the year. Listen, get this book. If you want to learn how to kill your ego, if you want to learn how to die to self and to sacrifice for others, if you want to confront your overwhelming selfishness with the gospel, then get this book. It's over 300 pages, but in this book, I mean, but it, it, it's worth it, the time it takes to read it. The truths in this book need to be chewed on and slowly digested. So don't let 300 pages discourage you. It will help you deal with the anger and the bitterness and the despair and the cynicism that inevitably you feel when you suffer or when you undergo trials that you didn't ask for or even when you have to deal with difficult people in your life. So what is the J-curve? Well, this is what it looks like. It's so simple, it's actually brilliant. I wish I would have thought of it, and then I could have written a book. The Christian life is shaped like the letter J. You go down on the left, and then you rise up on the right. You die to self, and then you emerge experiencing the life and power of the Holy Spirit in resurrection and it should come as no surprise because just like the letter J, Jesus' own life followed this pattern. He descended through his incarnation and then down into his death and then he ascended upward into his resurrection, into his ascension, into his exaltation. In fact, Paul in his epistles often describes the gospel in some way, like this, tracing this pattern of Jesus dying and rising. And that's what we'll see in our passage today. So, if you would be so kind, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul will show us in this passage that the normal Christian life is one of going down into suffering and rising again to new life. Every day... All day long, all your Christian life long. Not just once. You don't do the J-curve once and you're done. But again and again and again. The Christian life. Day after day after day. Moment after moment after moment. 
the Christian life is dying to convenience, dying to worldly success, dying to approval, dying to self, dying to how other people perceive us, only to be resurrected once again into repentance, humility, and hope. And when we are called to die to self and love others, which is the call in the Gospels, we see that with Jesus, when we are called to die to self and to love others as we love ourselves, you know what it does? It actually exposes our hearts in new ways. We see things that we don't like in our hearts, and it ain't pretty. In fact, it's quite grotesque, isn't it? Self is grotesque. But when this happens, when we go down into a J-curve, we are given new opportunities to repent. And then we rise in humility. And then we do it all over again and again and again. We repeat the process over and over again. So here's what Paul Miller says, a quote from his book. Repeat, because we repeat this J-curve throughout our life. Repeat is the hardest word on this journey, but it defines a suffering J-curve. We want our thorns to be over and done with. We recoil from repeated suffering. We much prefer one-time miracles, not the need for an ongoing miracle of a humble heart. That's a great phrase, isn't it? ongoing miracle of a humble heart we crave our but our ever present flesh requires an ever present solution dying and rising with Jesus most Christians do not identify thorns very well so a domineering mother a lazy husband or a sullen teenager are not seen as gifts that draw you into real time union with Christ We focus on the thorn and not on what God is doing through the thorn. And so that means that we can either view all of the hardships and the sufferings of life as opportunities to enter a J-curve. Here's another opportunity. I'm in a difficult situation dealing with a difficult person. Here's another opportunity for me to enter into a J-curve. We could see them as gifts that draw us into real-time fellowship with Jesus. Like, I need Jesus, but I have to ask the Holy Spirit right now to help me. That real-time communion, troubles and hardships can become real-time communion with God. Or we can go the other route, which inevitably leads to us becoming angry and bitter and cynical and maybe even full of despair. And that's no way to live as a Christian, is it? We will either embrace J-curves and let the Holy Spirit hold our hand and lead us through them, or we will end up angry, bitter, cynical, or full of despair, or all of the above. And so the J-curve makes all the difference. We usually respond, if you're like me, usually respond with bitterness, anger, and cynicism when we suffer. But when we embrace the cup of suffering that our Father has allowed in our lives, it's then that we neuter the evil. That's when life comes. And so the J-curve makes all the difference. Like when we miss a flight connection, we have an opportunity to go into a J-curve. Or when our car breaks down, 
or when we're struggling as parents. Whew, parenting is just nonstop J-curve, isn't it? It's like a J-curve roller coaster. Or when we don't like someone that we work with. I'm sure none of you struggle with that. Or when we endure lingering sickness, you fill in the blank. J-curves are for all of life. The J-curve redefines and reorients our expectation of the normal Christian life. J-curves remind us that life is hard. And discipleship is all about imitating our Lord and being conformed to His image. It's about dying and rising, continually reenacting Jesus' life. And we do this as we die to self, sacrifice, love others, or we do this when we're confronted by the Holy Spirit about the evil that's still in our hearts, or we go through J-curves when evil and suffering comes from outside of us, uninvited into our lives. And so we need to get used to this. The J-curve is the shape of the normal Christian life. The Christian life is shaped like the letter J. Normal Christian life repeatedly reenacts the dying and rising of Jesus. And so discipleship is repeatedly going down into J-curve after J-curve after J-curve, dying to sin and selfishness so that life, gospel life, extends to others for the glory of God. Now listen to how Paul describes the J-curve in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul the Apostle is just describing what Paul Miller calls the J-curve. We enter into some kind of suffering like what Paul was facing And sin and selfishness is killed by the power of the Spirit. And then we are conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. And then that leads us into real-time, present resurrection where we and others experience resurrection life. And so Paul says, we always carry in our bodies the death of Jesus. This is the the J-curve. This is dying to self. This is sacrificing for others. This is giving up our rights. This is being okay that we don't get our way. Paul's talking about how we reenact the gospel as we die to self. Recall what we saw back in verse 7. Two weeks ago, we have this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay. So we carry the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the gospel, in our bodies. And we do this so that life, Paul says, may come to others. We experience death to self so that we and others experience resurrection life as it is manifested in our jar of clayness. So as Paul died to himself and he took up his cross and followed Jesus, death was at work in him, but then resurrection life flowed out to the Corinthians through his ministry for their good, for their comfort. So when we die to self, it brings life to others. In fact, 
The J-curve is the path of discipleship, so much so that Paul repeats it three times in verses 10 through 12. Did you notice that? He says, carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus is manifested in our bodies. Then he says, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And then he says, death is at work in us, but life in you. Why does Paul say the same thing three times in a row? Because we are all so selfish. Because we always want our way. Because we want to be the king or queen of our own little kingdoms. We want control, don't we? Listen, when we're in our vans... I control the radio. That's just how it goes. I pick the stations. I pick the songs. I want control, right? Even with the TV. That's why they call it a remote control, because you want control. We're just bent that way. Now, remember, the super apostles who had invaded the Corinthian church, they were self-absorbed. They did ministry completely opposite of this death-to-life philosophy of ministry that Paul had. The super apostles had to be in the spotlight. They had to have the remote control. They wanted to be number one. They didn't want to die to self. They wanted to be congratulated. They wanted their ego stroke not put to death. They craved approval and being the center of attention. And so Paul's even saying to them indirectly in these verses, he's saying, I triple dog dare you super apostles to die to self. I triple dog dare you to give up your rights, quit quit trying to be the center of attention and get your ego stroked. I triple dog dare you to murder your ego. Listen, discipleship is all about killing your ego, killing selfish desires. Discipleship is all about following Jesus and dying to self when we miss a flight connection or when our car breaks down or when we're struggling as parents or when we don't like someone that we work with or you fill in the blank. Discipleship is all about dying to you. Jesus himself said so in Mark 8, right? And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Those words sting and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And so Paul's philosophy of ministry that he's spelling out here in chapter 4 is shaped by Jesus. It's all about dying to self in order to give life to others. Listen, Paul doesn't use people Paul doesn't see people as a means to get something for himself, whether that be praise or admiration or to stroke his ego or to make him feel special or make him feel important. Paul just sees people as desperate sinners who who need Jesus, so he lays his life down to pass gospel life onto them. And as Paul dies to self and goes down into a J-curve, the Holy Spirit works in his heart, and he emerges, and then he shares the life of the gospel with others. And that's Paul's role in ministry. Die to self, go down into a J-curve, give God glory. When we die to self, and when we sacrifice for others, we go down into humility. 
And you know what, Grace? You do this so well. I'm so encouraged and rebuked because of my own sinful, selfishness and sinfulness. This church is full of people who sacrifice and lay their lives down for others. The deacons and the tech team over the last several weekends, we've had a handful of funerals just giving up their time and serving the church body. We have people serving Awana on Wednesday nights, giving up their evenings, sitting in the cold to teach kids God's word. We have people who are working with the Central Coast Rescue Mission helping out with the homeless showers on Friday. Lots of ways that people are ministering and giving up their lives. So it's such an encouragement to me that that's the culture and kind of the DNA of this church. Is Our first response is like, we want to serve. We want to sacrifice. We want to give. When we enter a J-curve, the Holy Spirit raises us up into his life, which we then pass on to others. And instead of passing on our crabbiness, which I'm so good at. I don't know about you. I'm so good at passing. You, you want some crabbiness? I'm good at passing on my crabbiness. My poor family. My poor wife. I had a thought this week. I was like, I would not want to be married to me. Man, pray for my wife. But instead of passing on our crabbiness, passing on our anger, passing on our cynicism, passing on our bitterness, which usually happens when we don't get our way, instead... If we go through the J-curve, we pass on the life that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And then that makes everyone happy because Jesus is glorified. And then we finally relax and enjoy the Lord. And then others are set free to enjoy the Lord too. And so we all experience the life of Jesus together. It's dying to self for the sake of love. It's loving our neighbor as ourself. Now, Paul has already explained how this works earlier in chapter 1. He said that as he suffers, he is comforted by God, and then he takes that comfort and passes it on to others. It's the same thing here. So understand this, Grace. How you view your suffering changes how you do your suffering. Dying to self, if viewed appropriately, now becomes an opportunity to pass on life to others and to give glory to Jesus. That's why Paul says in verse 11 that he is always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. How you view your suffering changes how you do your suffering. And so dying creates life. When you die to self, and you die to your wants, and you die to your wishes, and you die to your sense of self-importance, and when you straight up murder your ego, it creates life in others. They flourish. They thrive. And then in the process, you do too because you're imitating your Lord. You're entering into his life of dying in order to give life. But to do all this because you're thinking, man, that's hard. Yeah, it is hard. To do all this, we desperately need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the only one who knows the way down. He knows the way. We don't. It's his path. He has to take us by the hand and lead us down into a J-curve. You can't pull this off on your own. It actually takes a, a total rewiring of self. Because of Adam's sin, we are simply wired to be number one, to get our way, to be king. And so self-enthronement comes naturally to us. It's just such a natural thing to set yourself up as the king or queen. 
Self-enthronement comes naturally to us. We don't even have to work for it. It doesn't even take any effort on our part. We're just wired for self-enthronement. We just wake up and crawl out of bed no matter how tired you are, even if you haven't had your coffee yet. We just wake up and crawl out of bed as self-enthroned kings and queens who expect to get their way in every situation and in every relationship that day. And so we need rewiring. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit helps to rewire us is through suffering, through trials, through hardships. Suffering is designed to rewire us for God's glory and the good of our neighbors. Listen, the easiest thing to do in the world, you know what the easiest thing to do in the world is? To love you. Piece of cake, right? You don't have to convince yourself to love you. You don't have to rehearse the gospel of self-love, do you? No, it just comes naturally. You just do it. It's the easiest thing for a disciple to do is just to love self. To just look at the mirror and say, that's a good mirror because the reflection is good, right? But to love God and others, that takes a rewiring in our hearts. And one of the many ways that God does that rewiring is through suffering, trials, hardships, difficulties. And here's the crazy thing about all of this. When we are self-absorbed, you know what? That's when we finally feel oriented to life, isn't it? When we get our way, like we feel free. We feel like all is well with the world. We feel like we are finally oriented. We've got our bearings. When in fact, we've lost our way. We're lost when we're self-absorbed. We think, I'm finally reoriented with the world. Everything is good. But we're actually lost in God's world. It's only as we look to God and out to neighbor that we are finally oriented and that we get our bearings again. And that's Paul here. Paul knows that self-absorption disorients him. But death to self brings life to others and in return, true life to Paul. Resurrection life. We think that we're finally and fully alive when we get our way, but we aren't because it doesn't last. True life comes when we look to Jesus, when we rehearse the gospel of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and then we follow Jesus and murder our ego, and then we bring life to others. True life and peace and joy is found in J-curves because the Christian life is shaped like the letter J. The normal Christian life repeatedly reenacts the dying and rising of Jesus. That's discipleship, rehearsing the gospel, dying to self, looking up to God, and looking out to neighbor. David Pallison says, Jesus says, follow me. To follow somebody else runs flat opposite to the entitled self-assertiveness that Western culture reinforces in us every day. This change dynamic will make you radically countercultural. It is countercultural, isn't it? It goes against everything in this world. But the J curve is the shape of the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life repeatedly reenacts the dying and rising of Jesus. It's really, you know what it is really? It's a dress rehearsal for that final day of resurrection 
when Jesus returns and we rise out of our graves. Dying to self, giving up our rights in our marriage, giving up our rights in our family, giving up our rights in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods, sacrificing for others, not having to control everything, not getting bent out of shape when things don't go our way. All of that is actually a dress rehearsal for the resurrection. We die, we go down into the path of humility, and the Spirit raises us up to newness of life. So what would it look like if the next time you were tempted to get bent out of shape because you weren't getting your way, and instead you died to self and experienced the Spirit's power? What if, I told, what if you told yourself, self, you need to die. Ego, I need to kill you. Why? I'm just practicing for the resurrection. I'm just rehearsing my resurrection down into death and up into new life. In fact, when we die to self and go down into humility, we come up by the Spirit and we are ushered into the presence of Jesus where we enjoy Him. So death to self actually leads us to Jesus. You want to be with Jesus, don't you? You like Jesus, don't you? Death to self ushers you into His presence. And so when we give up our rights, we're not really losing anything because what do we get? We get Jesus. More intimacy with him. More of his life. More repentance. More humility. And then we're more relaxed. And you know what? People will like being around us. And then we'll finally really start enjoying God. And so J-curves are a dress rehearsal for the future which we'll see in just a minute in verse 14. But before we get there, notice four times Paul mentions Jesus in just two verses. He just crams the name of Jesus into two verses. And by doing this, Paul is telling you that if you're ever going to endure suffering of any kind, the only way you're going to make it is by keeping your eyes focused on Jesus. That's where Paul's eyes are. You're going to have to talk a lot more about Jesus than what you're suffering. Talk more about what he did for you in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and what he can do for you than talking so much about your suffering. Listen, when you suffer, you must talk more about Jesus than the suffering. Of course, we don't deny the pain. We don't deny the reality of what we are suffering. But you're going to have to talk a lot more about Jesus like Paul does here, or what you're suffering will overwhelm you. Sometimes you just have to stop what you're doing and talk about what you know about Jesus. You have to remind yourself that he is kind, that he's good, that he's merciful, that he's powerful, that he's sovereign, that he's wise, that he works behind the scenes, that he specializes in crazy, against-the-odds situations. And you're going to have to trust that he knows what he is doing as he leads you through suffering. Paul Tripp said, God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. What Paul Tripp means is that God wants to conform you to the image of his son Jesus per Romans 8. And so in order for that to happen, sometimes he will take you to some dark places. He will take you through some trials 
take you through some fires, take you through some painful situations and painful relationships. And the reason that he does that, one of many reasons, we don't know all the reasons because we're not God, but one of the reasons that he does that is because you and I cannot produce this Christ-likeness on our own. We cannot conform ourselves to the image of Christ. We're not equipped to do it. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care if you're an Enneagram, whatever number that would be. It's only as we go through the fire, through the pain, through the trials, through the sufferings, that we become more like Jesus. But I'd like to add a phrase to what Paul Tripp said. God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own so that you can bring life to others. That's what Paul's saying here. But it takes faith to believe this, doesn't it? It takes faith to believe that what I'm going through is conforming me to the image of Jesus and it's bringing life to others. Listen, it takes faith in the Holy Spirit to believe that because that's crazy, right? To go through trials conforms me to the image of Jesus. I'd rather just pray and read the Bible, Jesus. He's like, that's not how it works. You have to go through that. You can't achieve that on your own. There's a, there's a sense of Christ-likeness and being conformed to Jesus that you just can't get by simply reading your Bible and praying. There's a sense in which you have to go through hardship to be conformed to his image and then to bring life to others. And listen, it takes faith to believe that. Faith comes by hearing God's word, the word of Christ. And that's exactly what Paul says and where he turns. Look at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So in verse 13, Paul quotes Psalm 116, verse 10, which says this, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. The psalmist is saying, I still had faith. Even when I said, I'm greatly afflicted. The psalmist is saying, I'm still trusting Jesus. Even though I say, oh my God, Jesus, I'm suffering. It's too much for me. But I still have faith. I still believe you, Jesus. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. The psalmist was suffering immensely. So he said, I am greatly afflicted. That's what we do when we suffer, right? We talk about it. We talk about the pain. We talk about the sorrow. We talk about the sadness. But even when the psalmist said, I am greatly afflicted, even when he talked about his suffering, he still believed, he still had faith in Yahweh. And so Paul picks up Psalm 116 verse 10 and says that even though he suffers, he still trusts in God just like the psalmist. And then Paul says he knows his suffering may actually lead to his death. He may go down into the final J-curve and end up in a cemetery somewhere. What then? No worries, Paul says. Paul knows that God will raise his body on the last day with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. 
And not only Paul, he says here the Corinthians too. Together they will be resurrected and get new glorified bodies and be ushered into the Lord's presence, Paul says. Hmm. Did you catch that in verse 14? God will raise us from the dead and bring us into his presence. Holy cow! Wowzers! You might want to underline that phrase into his presence and be absolutely dumbfounded as you underline it. Because when he returns, Jesus will take us by the hand and lift us up out of the grave and then we get to sit in his presence. We get to be with the one that we love forever. We get to see the nail-scarred hands and just sit with him and enjoy him. We get to be with the one who Paul says in Galatians 2.20, who loved me and gave himself for me. You might need to personalize that this morning and say, that's me. He loved me and gave himself for me. I get to be with Jesus. And we won't shrink back in fear that day. It's just going to be pure joy. And you know what? Not only... Will we be excited to see Jesus? Because we talk about that, don't we? We've had funerals the last month or so. And we talk about how these people who died, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who our brothers who died, brothers that all died, how they got to be with Jesus and how they got to see him. But you know what's so beautiful about the gospel is not only are we excited to see Jesus, he's just as excited to see us. So that when we die, Jesus is like, oh, you're here Finally, I can't believe it. He's just as excited to have us in his presence as we are excited to be in his presence. Listen, he's not going to be on an iPhone and be like, hey, good to see you. Yeah, you know, like we do with our kids. He's like, you're here. Oh, I love that. So, even though suffering is central to the Christian story right now, it is not Final. That's what Paul's saying. Suffering does not get the last word. It does not get the last word in these verses. And suffering does not get the last word in your life. Resurrection is the last word. Not suffering. Rising and dying in J-curves. In the final J-curve gets the last word, the final say in our lives. And so that phrase in verse 14 gets the last word. Bring us with you into his presence. That's it. That's the banner over your life right now, Christian. Brings us with you into his presence. That's the banner that's hanging over your life. Brings us with you into his presence. So when death comes knocking on your door, it has to read that verse. Brings us with you into his presence. I wanted this one forever. Nope. That's where your life is headed, Christian. 2 Corinthians 4.14 is your future. This is your destiny. This is what you rub into your pores when you are suffering. And so when suffering comes your way, you have to get a little bit of 2 Corinthians 4.14 in his present salve and rub it into your pores until you believe, until you have faith. I believed even when I said I am greatly afflicted. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What is the word of Christ? It's the gospel. 
You have to repeat it to yourself, and you have to be in this book. Listen, when you are suffering, the number one priority for you is to open this book and let God speak to you. That's how you get faith. When his word trumps every other word, every other voice that you're hearing. When his word even trumps your feelings. So that means, as Paul says here, we're a people of hope. Resurrection gets the last word, as Paul says in verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So even though Paul's talking about suffering, we are not primarily characterized as people who suffer, even though the book of 2 Corinthians is all about suffering. We are primarily a people of hope, resurrection hope. We're primarily a people of resurrection hope because Jesus is better than Adam. The life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus triumphs over Adam's sin. And so the gospel now infuses our suffering with hope and not the other way around. But notice how Paul comes back to the idea of the J-curve in verse 15. He says, for it is all for your sake. Again, Paul is speaking about how he carries around in his body death so that life will come to this church. So his suffering is for the Corinthians to bring resurrection gospel life to them. His suffering, his ministry is for their spiritual good. Paul's suffering brought God's sufficient grace to more and more people, and that resulted in more and more people increasing their thanksgiving and giving glory to God. And so here's the pattern, and this is what the J-curve was all about. Number one, suffering comes into our life, often uninvited and unwanted. Number two, we die to self by His grace. We sacrifice, we give up our rights. Number three, life goes to others, as Paul says, for it is all for your sake, verse 15. And then number four, thanksgiving and glory Glory go to God, as Paul says in verse 11, for Jesus' sake. So connect that, verse 11 and verse 15. Connect, for Jesus' sake, I'm suffering for Jesus' sake, for his glory, and I'm suffering for your sake, Corinthians. That's the pattern. And so when suffering comes our way, we are reminded once again that we are in the middle of a gospel story. We're not out there floating in some other story or movie being told. We're in a gospel story. We have another opportunity to reenact the dying and rising of Jesus. Difficulties then become opportunities to enter once again into real-time enjoyment of Jesus. To fellowship with him in his sufferings. These are many fellowships of Christ's sufferings. And these repeated dyings then do what we need most, and that is to strip us of our ego. We get reset, reoriented that we are in a gospel story and reminded that all of life is orchestrated by our Heavenly Father so then we can receive what He brings into our lives, what He allows into our lives, knowing it's going to bring good to us, good to others, and ultimately glory to God. And that should be the heartbeat of the Christian. I want to bring glory to God. So the J-curve is the shape of the normal Christian life. Let's close with something Paul Miller says in his book. Suffering isn't strange for Paul. He isn't merely enduring suffering, coping with it, or even learning from it. He's celebrating a life that reenacts the cross and the empty tomb. 
Paul is describing the normal Christian life. Because we've neglected Paul's emphasis on the J-curve, suffering feels strange. We've lost sight of this vibrant way of doing life. Embracing the J-curve as a way of life frees our inner self from a life of waiting for the other shoe to drop. In the same way that justification by faith frees our conscience, entering the dying and rising of Jesus liberates our spirit. So as we close, let me remind you, Christian, you are forgiven. You are forgiven of all of your sins. You are blameless in God's sight. Because of Jesus, he has declared you righteous. That's justification. Let that truth free your conscience and rest in that. And then let your justification, because you are free and loved and forgiven and declared righteous, let your justification lead you down into repeated J-curves so that you can enter into the dying and rising of Jesus, so that your spirit is liberated. Now that you have been totally accepted by God, you don't need anyone's approval anymore. You are accepted in the beloved. God is pleased with you in Christ, and now you are free, free to go love and serve others for the glory of God. His love for you is extravagant. And now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may your love for others be extravagant. Let's pray. Jesus, this this is a tough passage. Um, It's tough for me because I'm very selfish, very self-absorbed, and often cranky and irritable and crabby, and I pass that on to others around me. So I repent, Lord, right here in front of my brothers and sisters in Christ and say, forgive me. It's a tough passage and cuts right to the heart. It's hard, Lord, to not just turn in on ourselves. And so we need your Holy Spirit to take us by the hand and lead us into the dying and rising of your Son. And we pray that you would do it. And as you do it, that you would conform us to the image to your image, Jesus. And we pray that it would bring life to others, but ultimately, Jesus, we pray that it would bring glory to you. So help us. In your name we pray, amen.